Everybody, we're headed to the six most comforting verses in the entire Bible this morning, and it's a delight to have Miss Tony here with me interpreting for our well-loved deaf community, and so let's get underway with a word of prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your watchful eye, that your wonderful heart of love that cares for us, God, and we look to you. In these days where everything seems uncertain and unsure, and we are sure of your love, confident and bold to come before the very throne of God in our time of need to find grace and strength and mercy and the peace of Christ, which passes even all understanding, which guards our hearts and our minds. God, help us as your word declares to stay our minds on you because when we do that, you will keep us in perfect peace. We thank you in Christ's name, amen. Well, a cute little story from Reader's Digest. One summer night during a severe thunderstorm, a mom was tucking her small son into bed about to turn the lights out. And he asked in a trembling voice there, Mommy, will you stay with me all night? And she answered, with a warm smile, reassuring hug and said, I can't, dear, I have to sleep in daddy's room. Uh, you know that. And there was a long pause and the boy got an indignant look on his face and he looks up and blurts out, he says, that big baby. And so yeah, nobody likes to be afraid, whether you're a kid or a grown up. Fear makes life miserable. It just drains the very joy out of your soul to be uh, dreading. And so we weren't created for fear, of course not, but for lying down in green pastures and led beside quiet waters, restful souls, quiet hearts, nothing to make us afraid. That's really what God wants for us. God created us a garden of paradise Absent of fear, where quiet hearts and peace prevailed, uh, well, nothing else was possible, right, before sin entered the world. Because God said he created and everything was good, quote, very good. And so we know the story, but because of one man's disobedience, sin entered the world and death through sin and all things fearful came, not because God created anything to be afraid of, but it's the consequences of our own sin. And so Genesis 3 recounts the story. We all know it very well of how paradise was lost. Man was tossed out of the protective care and custody of our father's love, estranged from God and separated. And now we had great cause to fear. And because of our sin, we opened the door to all things 
fearful and nasty. Because of sin, our planet now subjected to futility under the bondage to decay. Uh, Romans chapter 8 tells us that the earth quaking, uh, volcanoes erupting, lightning striking, many other terrors that we face that make us afraid. Relationship, because of sin, we're ruined. No more harmony between husband and wife and uh, between us and the Lord. The firstborn son was a killer. Cain slew his own brother. We have wars and rumors of wars and man's inhumanity to man. Wow, it just knows no bounds. 6,000 years and counting. Be afraid, yes, very afraid. And our bodies, once fitted for eternal life, now reduced to aging and decay, as the scriptures say, vulnerable to sickness and disease. We need not look any further than headline news, bacterial and viral adversaries of the invisible kind. Unseen microbes producing panic as they stalk us in unseen places, plaguing mankind since the dawn of time. Let me assure you that there were no viruses in the garden of God, the garden, the garden of Eden. So from paradise to panic, barred and banished from the presence of the Lord and the tree of life, and living in this sin-cursed world, wow, there was a lot of reason to be afraid at every turn, unless, of course, you become a child of God. What a wonderful miracle to be brought back, or I should say bought back from death and destruction and fearfulness, uh, to be restored to God, to be reconciled to him by his good graces. No need for fear if you belong to the kingdom of God, if you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and of this unbelieving world and, and placed by the Holy Spirit into a new kingdom, a kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light as it's called in the Bible. And when God makes that transfer, there's no reason for fear. We belong to God and are under his care. And so then instead of fearing what the world fears, which we are told in Isaiah chapter 8, do not fear what they fear. Rather, fear the Lord and everything will fall into place and you'll have a right perspective on life. So instead of fearing what the world fears, we can be singing what King David sang Along with the rest of the redeemed, we call it Psalm 23. I have it for you on the screen. Well-known and well-loved for good reason, the six most comforting verses in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we call this a psalm. It means worship song. It was, these words were set to music, as most of you know. King David wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He has found the secret to a happy life, a life characterized by peace and not pushed around by the tyranny of fear. His heart is anchored in the confidence that comes from knowing we belong to God. Henry Ward Beecher, a, a preacher from the 1800s, he said, these six verses have charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has sent more dark doubts and thieving sorrows to their dungeon than there are grains of sand on the seashore. These truths here in six little verses, medicine for our anxious minds and comfort for wounded souls and light for our darkest night. That's really the cure for whatever ails you. And why is that? Well, fear is unnecessary where threat is irrelevant. Because if God is for us now in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who could be against us? Nothing in all creation can separate us from his love. And so there in Romans chapter 8, there's quite an extensive list of things that would threaten us. But because of the Spirit of God in our hearts and lives, we prevail. And so while many in this world currently even are coming unraveled with fear, let's talk about these six verses, shall we? And let the Holy Spirit put to flight any unworthy thoughts or emotions or feelings that are unworthy of someone who has God as their father, have the Lord as their caretaker, their shepherd. So let's discover the cause of this great king's courage or tranquil hearts. It's right here before us. So diving in, we'll isolate that first verse for you. Let's just walk through. And number one, we'll see the eternal cause of everlasting peace. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want, or I will not lack anything, or I have all that I need. So it always comes back to God, doesn't it? Who he is and who he is to us. So he's saying, if God is my caretaker, I'm good. I'm set, I'm prepared, I'm ready for anything. If I have God in my life, what else is really necessary? Well, yeah, there's a lot of things that are necessary. And God says, I know what things um, are necessary for your life. In fact, God knows what we need before uh, a word is on our tongue. And Jesus reminds us, he says, if you guys are flawed sinners, and if you can be good parents, how much more God, our Father, if he feeds the sparrows, he knows when they fall to the ground. If he clothes the grass of the field, it's really not worth much. He says, how much more you? He says, he's got this. But King David is saying, but wait, it even gets better. He doesn't just got this. 
He's got me. This is an amazing thing. The Lord is mine. I am his. To mess with me is to mess with God. The things that concern me are the things that concern my God. Now, you'll notice that the, most of your translations has the Lord in all caps, and that's to tell you that that's the covenant name of God. Now, the covenant name of God is used because um, the way the Lord uh, swears upon his own name when he makes promises. And so that's covenant. He's making a promise. He uses the name the Lord, which can be Jehovah or Yahweh. So when Moses asked God, what is your name? God re responds, Jehovah, which is translated really the short story is I am the self-existent one, the self-sustaining one, the eternal God. Scholar Thomas Newberry says of this interesting and kind of mysterious name, uh, it combines three tenses of Hebrew verbs. So Yehovah, Yah there is in the future tense saying he will be forever and then hove, um, he is now currently forever, present, and then hayah for Yehovah there is in the past. He was forever. So God is saying, I have always been, I am now, and I will be forever. But what's so fascinating and so very encouraging is, is that it's kind of a prefix because God will take his name, I am, and then he will take a need that we have and join it to his name to make his name in full, I am everything you need. Let me give you a quick example of that. I think I have a slide that shows Jehovah, Ra, and I am your shepherd. In fact, the first words of this psalm is just, I am your shepherd. That's his name. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, I am your provider. So he's joining his name to these um, uh, ways that he meets our needs. Jehovah Shalom, I am your peace. Jehovah Rapha, I am your healer. Jehovah Nisi, I am your victory or your banner of victorious conquest. And so there are so many more. Uh, the one who makes you holy, I am. I am the one who makes you right with God. I am the one who is present with you. I am the one who sees you. So what he's saying is who I am, as he reveals himself and his name, he's saying, this is who I am. I, who I am is I am the answer to all you could ever need. That's who he is. That's his name. So this is a reason why we lack nothing and we fear no evil. Jesus blew the religious leaders' minds in John chapter 8 when they were having a conversation quite heated. And uh, they brought up Abraham. They said, listen, no, Abraham is our father. And uh, Jesus says, well, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of rising from the dead and meeting me. 
And he saw me and he was glad. And so they said, they got exactly what he was saying. They said, you're not even 50 years old and you're claiming to have seen Abraham. And then Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. Using the same name of Yahweh or Jehovah, the Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, covenant name of God. And so they picked up stones to execute him because uh, in their minds he had committed blasphemy for making himself equal to God. But that's exactly who he was, conceived of the Holy Spirit, fully God, born of a virgin womb, fully man. He is the God-man come to save us. And then he says in John chapter 8, I am, there it is again, the good shepherd. And so he's saying, I'm the good shepherd that Psalm 23 is talking about. Here to shepherd your soul to eternal life. And so he really wants to bring home, as we, you can go back to the original verse there, thanks Adam, that uh, the shepherd metaphor shows uh, really God's job description, responsibility that God thinks he has uh, concerning us. So uh, shepherds care for the needs, every need of the sheep, and they love the sheep, even at the cost of their own life. David talked about going um, after a bear because a bear came to threaten the flock. And so shepherds lead the sheep to food and water. They care for them when they're sick, cut, bruised, weary. They rescue them when they go astray. And back in those days, not many fences, and so there was danger. Wolves, snakes, thieves, sicknesses. Sheep constantly were in need, and the shepherds were constantly fully equipped to meet those needs. And so when David was facing Goliath, he was once a shepherd. He's thinking of God in terms of watching over his life as he faced a giant like that. Perhaps that's when he penned this worship song. Or maybe when crazy, murderous, demonic rival King Saul was plotting to kill him. For maybe 10 years, that crazy king was hunting him down. Uh, an awful time of fear in his life, but he was able to sing the song and have no fear. Or maybe it was when he was feeling the weight of responsibility to be a king at the young age of 30, leading troops into fierce battle wherever David could sing God is watching over me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what it takes. I have everything I need. I want nothing more than what I have. I have God. Do I need anything else? In John 10, Jesus is going to make it really personal. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I know my sheep. They know me. I call them by name. No one's going to snatch them from my hand. Right, And I love that. He calls us by name. John, Harley, Mark, Steve, Tim, Val, Carolyn, Debbie, Rose, Shirley. I've got you. I've got this. I was always, I am currently now, I will be forever. Anything and everything you will ever need. In kindergarten, 
I think it was the first time I ever thought of God. Back in those days when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, they also allowed prayer and talk of God in schools. So there in the public elementary, Sweetbriar Elementary, Long Island, New York, Smithtown to be exact, there I was and we were singing this song, he's got the whole world in his hands. And then it gets even better. And that's David's point. God may have the whole world in his hands and he may be God of the whole universe, but he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. You see, that is the joy and what brings the peace really to King David's heart. Therefore, we sing, the Lord is my shepherd. I have zero reason to be anxious. I have every reason to have peace. Let's continue on with verses two and three. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So we go from the cause of our confident peace to this beautiful description of a peace that passes understanding. And so I think this is the greatest revelation of God's heart for us. And we see it cover to cover in the Bible. God really wants us to be free from fear and anxiety and worry. There's so many scriptures. Uh, Instead, he wants us who are called by his name to enjoy Quiet hearts, restful souls, minds at peace. Remember, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he looked at his disciples and he said, peace I leave with you. My peace, the peace of God, I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I love that. He gives us a little bit of the responsibility. Don't let your heart go there. Don't let your mind be swept away. Don't be pushed around or bullied by these kinds of fears. When you have me, I'm watching out over you. I give you my peace That's amazing. And I love the verb here. He makes me lie down. It shows me really what he's intending to do, not to drive me with whips, you know, as the law does. Do this, do this. Get busy, get busy, get busy. God's heart, the Lord's heart, our shepherd, he doesn't drive the sheep. He doesn't goad them into action. Get busy, right? None of that. Instead, one quote, the Lord knows that a quieted soul, a heart at rest, makes for a productive and effective servant. And so, yeah, I mean, outward busyness without inward repose is just craziness and neurotic. Anything we do for the Lord has to issue forth from a heart that's at rest and right with him. That's why he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your soul. He says, take my yoke upon you. He says, it's light. Work with me is light. He says, because it's all about love. It's a loving relationship. He says, my burden is light. And so, 
when God puts his own spirit in our hearts, he lavishes his love upon us that we should be called his children. It's a joy to serve him and his commands are not burdensome. First John chapter five, verse three, it says, this is how we love God. We keep his commands. Now, it's not a chore. It's not a chore to love somebody and do loving things and respond in love. And so, yeah, green pastures, quiet waters, right paths, real quick green pastures. You know, in that day, you know, a lot, uh, it was seasonal to have green, lush, verdant uh, meadows. Um, uh, but then those same hills would become bone dry and ugly as sin, brown, useless, right? Summer and fall was like that. It's like that here, the foothills. But with God, David is saying that God always has a way. He always knows where the green clover is, even in winter, even in fall, even in those dry, desperate seasons. He says he's designed us for his love to be fed on his word that's available 24-7, even when it's dry, even when there's fearful things happening, there's cause for inner repose and rest because we trust in his promises and his faithfulness. And so when the world is frantic and laden with fear, running here and there, he says, hey, there's always a place for rest and then quiet waters, two ideas here. There's a state of calm, and then there's refreshment. And so the state of calm, he's saying, nothing like a lake in summer uh, to bring and inspire sweet repose. And so uh, Hume Lake um, is a place that we go in summers. I have a picture of it. And, I, and I'll tell you that... Um, that, that lake is a place that we really enjoy. We love going there. And uh, there's something about it. I mean, you take a walk in the summer and the smells and, I mean, everybody's drawn to uh, that kind of place. And it just brings uh, a restfulness uh, to us. And this is the image. What he wants us to see is that he leads us beside still waters, meaning that the Prince of Peace knows only how to lead us in peace. And when we walk with him, we have access 24-7 to this kind of undisturbed peace, no matter what's going on on the outside. You know, you can have chaos. It's interesting. You know, hurricanes can blow in on the ocean and all kinds of things going on on the surface, and it looks chaotic and crazy and very fearful if you were on that uh, water. But down deep, you know, oceans average two and a half miles deep. Down at the bottom, there's a current going <laughs> peacefully, undisturbed, uh, with no interference from what's going on on the surface. And I think God calls his people to go deep with him to settle down, to lie down, to take some time to feed on the green pastures of his word and be refreshed with living water for our souls and then be led by him in right ways. And then we find this beautiful restoration no matter what's going on on the outside. I mean, Jesus was able to sleep in the storm 
on the Sea of Galilee. And so even when things are crazy, there's, there's peace available, a quiet place, nourishment, safety, and great repose. And so uh, the water is quiet and refreshing. You know, Jesus said, if you drink of the water that I give, you'll never be thirsty again. It's the water of life. And so being led in paths of righteousness, really the idea's guidance is that sheep are not known for their intelligence. Um, they're they're kind of uh, simple creatures and uh, they need to be shown the way. And he says, you know, the world's a crazy place. A lot of dead ends, a lot of pitfalls, a little pit holes here and there, potholes, I should say, you know, and sudden twists and turns. I mean, who saw this worldwide pandemic coming, right? And so he says, I'll lead you through in right paths. The word is straight. I'll lead you straight through, not only physically, as the light of the world, anybody who believes in him um, should have the light of life and never walk in darkness. He's talking about that outwardly, but he's also talking about how to think right and to live right and to speak right that the Holy Spirit grants us that kind of wisdom as well. So yeah, green pastures, quiet waters, right paths, and we find ourselves restored. You restore my soul. And when he says my soul is restored, it means it needed, I needed rescue. And we often do still need rescue because we're so prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave. The God we love is the hymn writer captured so eloquently. And so now enter the greatest threat to that kind of peace, the dark, scary shadows there, the valley of the shadow of death. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And so my go-to guy, Charles Spurgeon, has this about this beautiful passage. Spurgeon wrote, when there is a shadow, there must be light somewhere. And so there is. Death stands by the side of the road which we travel. The light of heaven shining upon him throws a shadow across our path. Let us rejoice then. The substance of death has been removed. Nobody's afraid of a shadow, are they? The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. The shadow of a pandemic. He didn't say that part there. But isn't it really all the same? Even when the right path brings the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death, there's no need for fear and for good reason. He's with us. And before Christ came, that's what you would say, that God is with us. But better yet, after Christ came, we can say, he, not only is he with us, he's in us. That's an amazing thing that even Christians have a hard time imagining. But I've got three scriptures for you. They're on the screen now. Jesus speaking. 
On the night he was betrayed, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, a helper to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But see, here's what I'm looking at. For he lives with you and will be in you. The spirit of God is God himself. And then that's further um, made clear in the following verses. Do you not know, Paul writing to the Corinthians in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And then again to the Corinthians in the second letter, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Do you not realize that the Son of God is in you by the presence of the Holy Spirit, who's called the Spirit of Christ? So now... You know, no matter what's going on, we ask ourselves, do you you realize that Christ is in us, that our spirit's been joined, raised up, and knit together with the spirit of the Son of God? Now, that is why Paul will say, if God is for us and we're united with him, Christ in us and us in Christ, who is God, then there is no reason to fear. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I've been raised to life. I love Romans chapter 8 puts it this way. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Father God, Abba God, or Dad. Some translations have Daddy. For his spirit joined with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So I will fear no evil because God, who spoke and the universe leapt into existence, is my own father and my spirit and his spirit are wed together and my spirit can call out and cry out, Abba, Father, Dad, to God. This is why when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. First John chapter four says everyone who's born of God, whose spirit has been raised up by the spirit of God within overcomes the world. That's a bond that nothing in all creation can come against. So our confidence in this regard is way different from the world. I mean, the unbelieving world in crisis will say, and well-intentioned, you know, say, cheer up, it's going to be okay, it's going to get better, this too shall pass, quoting the Bible, kind of, we'll get through this, or cheer up, or whatever, but, I, you know, ask them, based on what? Based on what? And they're, they're like, uh, it always gets better, well, does it? There's no basis, but there's a basis for us to say, cheer up, take heart, you don't need to be afraid, because we have a basis here, the presence of the living God, the resurrection of Christ, the promises of God. Oh, 20 years ago during my cancer days, you know, 
uh, I was talking to somebody in the waiting room and they said, hey, you know, the chemo's gonna work, knock on wood. And he knocked on wood. And I just paused, I, you know, I just said, listen, I appreciate that. The only wood that I'm gonna knock on or bank on is the wood, the cross of Jesus Christ. Because on that, my Savior died for all of my sins to take away my guilt and the shame and to raise me to eternal life. And so cancer really is not my greatest problem. And so, yeah, I'll, I, you know, you gotta have a basis. And so when Jesus says, take heart, he gives us a reason for I've overcome the world, right? You're gonna have some troubles in life, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You're in me, I'm in you. Therefore, there's a strong foundation. So you can say, hey, I'm not just going to cross my fingers and say, oh, I'm going to get through this. You have a foundation of truth to stand upon the truth of God. And that's sufficient. He says, your rod and your staff comfort me. The commentators say that it's just two different ways of talking about one instrument, the walking stick that he used to fend off predators. And if we're looking at this uh, through New Testament eyes, the father took the rod and fended off the predator of death against the sheep, his beloved, by beating Jesus, the God's only begotten son to death. It pleased God the Father to crush him on our behalf. But he was pierced for our rebellion and transgressions crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own ways. The Lord has laid upon him the sins of us all. So when I read your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I know that God took the rod to the shepherd. And through the shepherd's suffering and death and resurrection, the sheep have no reason to fear because death, judgment, guilt, and shame and all things fearful have once and for all been dealt with on that cross by our good shepherd who laid down his life on our behalf. So bring on my enemies, he says. In verse 5, this final metaphor, this cool picture, like a Thanksgiving spread while your enemies are, are chomping at the bit to get at you, standing nearby, you're dining back, and the Lord is waiting on you. Uh, Alexander McLaren, an old preacher back in the 1800s, he said, this is the condition of God's servants, always in conflict, but always a spread table available to them. Once again, Charles Spurgeon, he says, when a soldier is in the presence of his enemies, he eats on the run and grabs a hasty meal if he eats at all, and then he goes back to the fight. But observe, he says, you prepare a table 
just as a servant does when they unfold the tablecloth and set the table and decorate for a festive and peaceful occasion. Nothing is hurried. There's no confusion. There's no panic. There's no disturbance. The enemy's at the door. And yet God is preparing a table, taking his time. And the Christian sits down and eats as if everything was in perfect peace because from God's point of view, it is. This is why we, faith looks not at the things that are seen or heard on CNN. We go past that to the unseen realities which are more true than the things that we can see with our senses. Those things are eternal. These things are temporal. God says, train your heart, your mind, your eyes to see with faith to the things that are most true and eternal, and then you'll have peace. You won't be fearing what the world fears if you're turned your attention to heaven. And then he says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. He's saying, he's sitting at the table, enjoying the hospitality of God. So back in those days in the Middle East, they would, when you come to the table, they would go around and anoint everybody's head with a little lotion, a fragrance there. They'd wash their feet and they would serve them. Every time you take a sip, and this is like this in a lot of cultures, in Japan, I just learned that when I didn't want any more tea, just turn the cup over because it just keeps, they keep pouring and pouring. They want you to be happy. And he says, here I am, just smelling good, feeling good, having my feet washed and my, my cup is overflowing. There's just no end of the abundance and the luxury. It's almost like a, a spa or a luxurious restaurant while the chaos is in the presence while you're in the presence of, of absolute panic, there's a place in our hearts and minds made possible by the Holy Spirit, a place that's protected from all of that. We can go within and be with our Father, our Shepherd, and enjoy His peace, not as the world gives, nothing you can find here, a peace that comes from Christ a peace that he promises to anybody who seeks him and opens their heart and comes to him. You remember the commercial about that fancy mustard? You know, they're in all this chaos and traffic and horns blowing and all kinds of chaos. And, and they're just having a feast, you know? There's a pass the gray poupon, you know? It, if you're old enough, like me, to remember those kinds of commercials. This is it, you know? It just doesn't matter. All of the noise around us, we are sitting back at the table being served by God. There's no need to fear. Our cups are overflowing. One writer said, if this is the kind of treatment you want to enjoy, you'll need to increase your faith. And work at it. We gotta focus our thoughts. Can't be pushed around all over the place. There's a difference between concern and worry and fear. Right? Concern is driven by a truth to be practical and wise. Worry is driven by fear, panic, worry, what if. 
But let's finish up here with an interesting postscript of verse 6 about things to come. Just a comment left here. Surely goodness and mercy or love. The word is confusing in Hebrew because it means loving mercy. Uh, will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever under his protective care. We're all headed home to that place like... Uh, in Massachusetts, uh, my grandma and my aunties, they all lived in a tenement building, two flats. Grandma was there. It was just the, the most loving, magical, wonderful place. And every time we went there, it was just usually around Christmas or Easter. It was so wonderful, so comforting so loving, and we would race from the car, the kids, and go bursting through the front screened-in porch there, and oh, man, I just greeted and hugged and loved and lots of food, and uh, it just, uh, just one of my best memories. And whenever I think of going home to be with the Lord, I know it's that same feeling, but only multiplied millions of times a place where home, home, where we belong, where we were, we were created for. It will all make so much sense. It's, of course, our Father. Of course, this is where we belong, under his protective care forever to enjoy him and his pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Now, what in the world is goodness and mercy doing following us behind, you know? One writer, F.B. Meyer, great commentator, by the way, he says, uh, we are escorted forward by the Lord of love and uh, he's out in front with these twin angels taking up the rear. So what is this? Goodness means this joyful, right, kindness, moral quality and mercy, mercy, grace, and love behind us. Here's what he's saying. Anything that would rob you of perfect peace, such as past regrets, missteps, blunders, regrets, we all had, have at least a few, as the song goes, right? But God says, look in the rearview mirror and the things that would cause you disquietness and, and take away your peace, goodness and mercy is back there in the wake of all of your even bad decisions and working goodness out of it, working for good, causing all things to work for good to those who love God. And mercy, mercy meaning treating you better than you deserve, uh, covering over things and, 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 and working it out in a way that you don't deserve because they're things that would rob you of peace. So instead of having all of those things back in your mind thinking, oh no, he's saying goodness and mercy's back there, they're working for you. You have no need to be upset about even what's behind you. That's an amazing thing. I mean, I'm wondering if he's thinking of, I'm sorry, but Bathsheba, the, the worst thing that ever happened to him, the one big stain. Yes, he made some mistakes, but that was the king of all mistakes, the blunder of blunders there, that whole scene. And after the first baby of the union of their adulterous relationship was born and died, 
to them, Bathsheba and David, was born Solomon. And goodness and mercy working behind the scenes will make Solomon be an ancestor to the Christ that Solomon is in, the line of Jesus, our Savior, who will redeem David of all of his sins and every sin that we've ever committed. And so the very worst thing because of goodness and mercy following behind King David produced a Solomon, which was really the very best thing that will end up producing the savior of the world. And so it's win-win with God as our shepherd, as we put our trust in him and walk with him and let us lead us in love and not be pushed around by every little fear and thing and causes us to panic, but set our gaze upon Christ, our good shepherd. Let's pray together. Father God, it is a scary time in the world. Lord, we just hear all of these reports and we are looking to you. Father, you're our shepherd. And when we are fearful, whenever we're afraid, we will trust in you, in God, whose word we praise. And we thank you for your incredible love, your perfect love that casts out our fear. And so we commit ourselves to your care. Watch over us, Father. We know you're watching us. Help us to watch you through these days to have your perfect peace and fear no evil, for you are with us. We thank you. Commit ourselves to your care. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 